Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Almost Good Podcast. This is a podcast where uh, two dudes, one of them who's uh, named David James Keaton, that's him. Hello. And one of them named J. David Osborne, that's me. Hi. Talk about movies. And we really try our best to get uh, technology to work with us. I'm currently in an extended stay Marriott in Dallas, um, teaching a little summer camp to children out here. And... Um, yeah, we were trying to get the Skype working, and on my end, it sounded like anytime I was talking, it just sounded like uh, this white noise was overtaking my headphones, and apparently it sounded like I was getting walked out of the room, which is interesting. <laughs> it's very like, interesting uh, like because... You were ushered, like you were ushered out of the room, like someone put a jacket over your shoulder and took you home from the party. Hell yeah, dude. Because the uh, coworker of mine who is staying below me has informed me that at all hours of the night, they can hear footsteps in my bedroom, uh, which I don't think I'm a sleepwalker. I have slept walked before when I was really like bucked up. Um, but it's not like a regular thing for me. So unless I'm just getting up and doing a sort of paranormal activity type thing, uh, there's some kind of footsteps in here. So it might be ghosts. Oh, and my TV turns on sometimes unexpectedly just kind of turns on. So, um, you did build a pyramid of beer cans when you were in a stupor when you were at my house. We talked about yes. this a couple of times, yes. but it's like like in Poltergeist when she leaves the room and comes back and all the chairs are in a giant pyramid. Right, That's right. Pretty much what happened, except it was with uh, like natural light beer cans. Well, you know the thing is, man, I like to have a good time. Uh, I've always enjoyed, <laughs> uh, you know, bringing the party. So it's just kind of how I am. So anyway, so I'm in Dallas. Have you ever been to Dallas? Uh, no, I was in San Antonio. So I used to think that Austin was the worst city in Texas. Turns out it's actually Dallas. <laughs> so I had to look this up online because you come here and there's a fuckload of people and there seems to be a lot of retail industry, right? Like a lot of like nice little shops and everything like that. And apparently it's wildly expensive to live here, but I couldn't figure out what anybody in Dallas does. You know what I mean? Like I didn't know what the... What the well, aren't they, the, is, so. uh, aren't they supposed to be, they're like the idle rich, right? It's a bunch of, bunch of oil money, a bunch of James Dean and giant oil money. Where people I think just so. Kinda... If you I ever watched so. a yeah. North, da- North Dallas 40, the football North movie? North Dallas there's, um, 40, no. Nick, Nick Nolte has uh, this uh, woman he's infatuated with. And um, that's kind of the subplot is that she does nothing. She just kind of sits there and reads all day. And finally he's like, you and your oil money trust fund so i think that's why the dallas you're seeing looks looks so idle yeah and i think we're also i think we're in a more well-to-do part of town so the houses are incredible and uh my boss was like oh yeah the average uh property value here is six hundred thousand dollars and i was like why would anybody want to live here i don't get it like it just <laughs> it seems like, like such describing... a go ahead it's like it's like well i was just gonna say it's like the, the what the redneck uh Palo Alto, it's like Silicon Valley there. Mm-hmm, it looks mm-hmm. it looks like shit, but the property values are gigantic because of the whatever that industry is, which is which I, th- I think it is hoard, tech, hoarding by the way. money. <laughs> I think there's I think there's tech here now. Um, yeah. And so basically, my boss took me to well, he took us like all the coworkers to this um, this place called Legacy Hall which is it's in a strip mall like one of these they had a lot of these open air strip malls in in florida when i lived there for a time you can like walk around and they try to approximate what a 
what a cute little street would look like. So they have little street lights and everything's paved with this sort of flesh colored stone. You know what I mean? It's very, yeah, yeah. and I was, uh, I was in this place and there was a bunch of places to eat. It was a food court, like a mall food court basically, but it had all kinds of crazy fusion food truck style food. And it was completely populated by teenagers, like, but rich teenagers, right? Like, like 15 year olds in boat shoes type rich and like old alcoholics who were like drinking wine and beer and they just looked and smelled like money. And I almost, I'm not even exaggerating. I almost had a panic attack while I was in there <laughs> because it so represented everything that terrifies me about life in general, just becoming this kind of lizard that likes everything clean like doesn't like any sort of sharp edges to anything it's like a it's like a big playpen for the super rich does that make sense like it's just kind of like they have all the shops they need everything it's like a little floating island of you know people who smell like dolce and gabbana or something (laughs) yeah teens that teens that tuck their shirts in yeah Terrifying. That's, and are 100% that... rapists. They're, they're 15 years old. They're all, <laughs> they all already have like six or seven rapes under their belt. Like, What's these f- are the kind of lizard people I'm talking about. Right. And that's, it's funny how accurate the, uh, the depiction of rich little pricks is from like Caddyshack. I saw yeah. that movie, you know, when I was a little kid and I thought that's what rich people are like. And they, they're still like that. Or at yeah. least that's how I like to generalize them to make sense of the world. That they still have that kind of, that preppy smugness to them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That ch- like a Chevy Chaseness. <laughs> uh, no, 100% like a Chevy Chaseness. Like, to me, it was just, they didn't do anything. They didn't eyeball me. They didn't, mm-hmm. like, look, they didn't call me names or make fun of my dusty ass shoes or anything. Like, they were just existing. And I have a handle on this pretty well, um, but I realized I might have a handle on it so well because I live in El Paso, which is mostly blue collar. Of course, there's rich people there, but it's mostly people who work for a living, like who have dirt on their hands when they go places, you know. Um, And so I don't see it very even the shopping centers are populated by largely blue collar people. And also like when the rich people come over, it's rich people from from Juarez, right, who are going there to like as like a status thing. And for whatever reason, man, that just bothers me less than these fucking pale. Maybe they can't see it. Maybe you can't, maybe they, you said they don't, they didn't say anything to you. They didn't look at you. Maybe they, yeah. they've tuned you out. They've, um, they, you're not one of them or something. You know what I well, mean? Well, I, re- I realized this when I was sitting there and that is that, uh, one of the, the ladies that I work with was noticing that the person behind me looked to have a Louis Vuitton bag or something. And so I look behind me and I, I notice it and it suddenly occurred to me that that purses and handbags are just blank spaces. Like it's something that my brain doesn't fill in. You know how your brain does a whole bunch of work to fill in your surroundings? Handbags yeah. completely escape me. If you were to, if I were to go out and I could be walking like with Rios, right, someplace and I could hang out all night. And if they asked me at the end of the day, like what color was Rios's bag? I just never processed it. It never went in. And I think to them, I'm like a bag, you know? Like they <laughs> You're just... a, I've never heard you described as a, as a, a what do you say, Louis Vuitton uh, purse? Mm-hmm. That's what you are. Yeah. I'm a very, you know, I'm a very expensive purse. You're, dude. An, you're an invisible person. You know what you should do? I, I think you're onto something. You should write, 
you should write the white person version of uh, Ellison's Invisible Man, mm, yeah. where, where you compare yourself to a rich person's bag. <laughs> yeah, I think, that, I think that book would go a long way. Dude, those, I, I'm that, sure that that purses, would go over really well. You know what's really in right now, and I know this because Amy was scoping out somebody's bag or somebody's purse, whatever you call it. Uh, camouflage. There's, I saw one that was like a really expensive bag, but it had like a camo pattern on it, like a ghillie suit bag. <laughs> uh, no, it was it was one of those high end ones. I can't think of the name, but it was just a. It, was, it looked like a fucking Duck Dynasty pattern. So what would, what would happen there if you had the bag that you can't see if it was actually had a camo pattern? Would it suddenly? Would it be like a double bluff? You'd suddenly register it because your your backwoods uh, instincts would kick in. Sure, you'd yeah, like, yeah. You'd be like, hey there, get get low. There's a hunter. I'll bet you. I'll bet you. I'll be like, I'll bet you. There's deer piss in that bag. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's like you know all these people. You know they go back to their McMansions, and you know like what the decor looks like. You know there's a live laugh love plaque on the wall. You know that they have like a a movie room with actual theater seating. I know because I've delivered them when I was delivering furniture. So many theater seatings for like, you know, like eight chairs for like a room that just has a big projector screen on it. And every time you meet these people, they're a little fat. They're a little red. They just, they're just consumptive animals, right? They have no, they have no human purpose anymore, except to consume. the, the, The Burbank Hank. Is the I've heard that phrase. Oh, Burbank they, Hank. Okay. They've got the they got the red face. They're wearing like a windbreaker. Yeah. Um, maybe some sort of shirt with a flamingo on it to show that they're they're hip. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, that's it's the same kind of thing. I think we're actually right now where you're at, where I'm at, we're kind of um, we're on opposite ends of the of like the the um, the, the hamster trail there. Mm-hmm. You're like mm-hmm. you're like in a similar a similar bubble. Oh, yeah, but, I mean, the thing is, dude, at least you got the beach close by. Dallas doesn't even have a beach. I think it, maybe a lake or something. I don't know. I just, I don't maybe know I, what goes don't on they have here. A, is San, how far away is San Antonio from where you're at? About three three hours, yeah. Oh, okay. I was just looking for something I could attach uh, memory to. And it's like, you go to, like, Houston is kind of a mess, right? So when you go to Houston, the, the streets are all fucked up. There's all this construction. But Houston has, like really good culture for example like most of the music that i really enjoy like in hip-hop comes from houston and so like houston has like a rich black culture that's really cool el paso has a pretty rich mexican culture that's cool and i'm not saying that like it has to be it can't like white culture can't be cool but what it seems to have become in the year 2019 like white culture is just like it looks like Everything looks like the inside of a doctor's waiting room. Like nothing's <laughs> offensive. Everything's expensive. And this is the perfect movie to talk about whiteness. Yes, sir. Yes, this sir. Is some, this is some whiteness. Real quick, though, when I think about Texas, uh, you might change my whole impression of it. Is Bubba Sparks from where you're at? When you talk I thought about he was South? from Louisiana. Oh, I thought he was from Louisiana. Right. You're probably right. Fuck then. Fuck where Texas. Fuck that. Yeah. It doesn't have Bubba yeah. Sparks. It doesn't have any uh, any white culture to offer me. In my mind, a map of Texas looks like um, now just because I said it, I'll remember mm-hmm. that wrong. So, mm-hmm. a map of Texas to me is Dallas, Bubba Sparks, and San Antonio as a jellyfish because I got attacked by a jellyfish there. Cool. Right, that's right. All, that's all I know. And then uh, also Nick Nolte because he was. A, a and then there's one. there's Austin, which is this kind of absolutely oh, like, incredibly incredibly beautiful bohemian nightmare 
that is what Austin for, is. It'll yeah. forever be Richard Linklater to me. Yeah, and I wish it had stayed that way. Sometimes I, this sounds, you know, I think I feel like we live in a permanent state of nostalgia now because I think a lot of us hate this kind of sterilized thing. But I do, I often think like, you know, because I used to live in Portland. And even though the Portland of, you know, 1995 was grimy and the Austin of 1995 was grimy, it's like I wish I could have lived in those cities at that time. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I got I got to them right when they all kind of got bowled over by this sort of like, hey, you know what? Let's make this better. You know, right. like, let's let's clean this up. It's like, no, You're like, the, yeah, you, you want to be like Times Square pre Giuliani cleanup. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. Exactly. But uh, you want to talk about midsummer? Midsummer. Do you pronounce? Is that how you pronounce it? Is it just midsummer? Is that midsummer? Uh, Aster, the director, has said that either midsummer, 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 or midsummer. He's like either one's fine. And uh, I'm somebody who believes 100 percent that the artist is in control of his art and is the final arbiter of what the art means. So I'm going with that. I'm going well, with that. As as someone who believes that the artist has no say in the interpretation of what they make, um, I'm going to call it Musumara. Musumara. <laughs> so hey, uh, actually, Amy's going to see that right now. It's um, no we've shit. Been trying to, yeah, we've been trying to solve how to figure out how we could see a movie with a baby because we missed that window. I've talked about it over and over. And uh, I went to see this with my sister because that's then, you know, Amy will watch the baby and, and my sister's usually excited about new movies because she works in a movie theater. Right. Sometimes, sometimes we get the deal. And mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. so that means I keep seeing these movies and then I'll come home and I'll want the shared text. You know, I want to talk about it, but I can't. And so we were trying to solve it. And today in the shower, I had, the brainstorm that she should just go at night. I'll watch the baby mm-hmm. um, or when she's sleeping and she can go. And uh, I didn't expect her to get so excited and jump on that idea. I thought she'd say like, Oh, I don't want to go see a movie without you. <laughs> but she immediately almost did a da- this little dance and was like, I get to do something by myself. Awesome. <laughs> and she was like almost fist pumping. And, and I, I got, I was so sad. It was like, uh, I was thinking, is this the gateway to like becoming swingers? Because everything she was saying, it was like it was like cheating. Everything she was saying, you could map onto like a cheating conversation. Uh-huh, it's like right. no, no, it'll just give us something to talk about. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> you're, you're going to see movies without me. Like the like in breaking the waves when the guy's dying, and so he sends his wife off to sleep with other people. I feel like yeah. I made a huge, huge mistake. She's right. She, right. She, I, and I want. I just from a distance watched her buy her single ticket and, and the seat and she's going to go get some popcorn. And I'm like, what the, what have I done? I've sent her right into his arms. You know what right, I mean? Right. Right. And then you drive home listening to <laughs> REMs. Everybody hurts. Like, <laughs> no, so, yeah, man. this is a weird, yeah. it's a weird one. I really wanted her to see it because it's got that uh, subplot about, you know, academia and, um, yeah. and a lot of conversations we've had, I think, uh, could be interesting but that means i'm on my own i can't potentially steal any of her insights and um and then she'll listen to this later and say what mm-hmm. yeah you guys, you guys totally this? missed it you guys totally missed it but which i always feel like the fact that go ahead oh, i was just gonna say i always feel that about kind of amy in general like i tend to feel like i'm talking to somebody who's about 1.5 times smarter than i am and is just yeah. like waiting for me to to finish babbling 
so that she can like say the thing that's probably correct. I don't know, man. It's well, she's she's good at, at rhetoric, so she'll uh, she won't wait to talk. She'll definitely hear what you have to say. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, uh, as we both prove on this podcast, we're constantly waiting to talk. Um, yeah, I was thinking we should make a version of this podcast. Each each of us will do our own. Mm-hmm. Pretending, pretending like we're talking to each other. It'll be like that Garfield without Garfield comic strip. Yeah, yeah. I <laughs> and like I wonder, that. If, and I wonder what it would sound like. It might be kind of fascinating. I think might... that I think that's a cool idea. Um, I think maybe we should do that, just not with movies, with like a subject. <laughs> so we yeah. could we could talk about you know sitting in traffic, and we'd have to have a thing where we each talked for a minute and then yeah, stopped, and then and then splice it together. Yeah, yeah. So we would have a minute, and then I would pretend to listen to, like, I would pretend I would wait a minute, and then go, and then, you know, et cetera, and so on and so forth. Maybe we should do that. I had a question for you, because it was a discussion that just reminded me of that, uh, Uh because Amy Amy and I had a debate about this. So Once Upon a Time on Hollywood's coming out, Mm -hmm. um, which means a lot of these fucking idiots are boycotting it. They're boycotting this beauty. It's going to be in 70 millimeter. Maybe yeah. the last hurrah of, of film. If like for the CD format, if Guns N' Roses Chinese Democracy was like the last hurrah of CDs where like Best yeah. Buy had a whole window full of them. And now, you know, those days are over. Sure. I, once, once upon a time in Hollywood might be like the last hurrah for seeing a 70 millimeter film or even a film in public because people are very confused about about what you know why are we even out here what let's just talk our way through it so i see a lot of people saying fuck him the usual you know sure yeah sure and uh like it was today somebody was like so glad he put that rapist uh, roman polanski in that movie which right away that's a fucking spoiler i didn't know roman polanski was in the movie but this is the same yeah. person who this is somebody who's also really excited about midsummer and i'm right. thinking Midsummer doesn't exist without Rosemary's Baby, you fucking idiot. So, what are you talking about? Like, I get it. I get it. You're mad yeah. at Roman Polanski. He's he's apparently he's a rapist. Yes, be mad at mm-hmm. him. Don't be mad at who influenced Roman Polanski. Don't be mad at like because you obviously aren't. If you're not mad mm-hmm. at whatever the final result of the influence of Ro- Rosemary's Baby is. But mm-hmm. anyway, it led to this. That all that aside, led to this question. So people are canceling Tarantino because he uh, they said he was abusive to Uma Thurman or he was he mistreated her on the set. He like, yeah. got her injured. You saw that, right? There was a video. I, yeah, I did. Mm-hmm. Her... OK, so this is going to this is going to sound terrible. So Go get, for get, it. It's what, it's what we do here, bro. It's get what ready we do. The delete button. I've got I've got my with... oven. I've got my oven mitts on for get this hot take. The... OK, it's a little hot. This, this takes a little hot. It was a little hot in traffic the other day. Mm. So. He he's not canceled in the way that we're kind of used to where, you know, they use their power to, you know, sexually harass or rape a woman. He used his power to almost kill, kill his star. Right. Kill his sure, actor. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so as long as a director tries to kill the actor and not rape them, I'm kind of OK with it. Yeah. Is it, is it OK yeah. that, he only, that he only tried to kill Uma Thurman? Is that because I kind of gave him a pass? Yeah. Um, it's a great question. A fantastic question. I would have to think about it. Um, <laughs> Coward! <laughs> I think, well, here, no, you know what? You've, you've goaded me, dude. You've oh, goaded me. Nobody, nobody, nobody calls me a coward on my oh. own, on my own podcast. 
<laughs> no, 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 no. But for real, for real, <sighs> I think uh, I think you have a good point, and I think that like. Okay, so I'll back up here for a second, and I'll think like, okay, how does how does art that we all love kind of get made? Um, at the end of the day, there has to be kind of a psychopath on the other end of it, and there's this kind of push to flatten everything and make sure that everything is safe and secure and that nobody ever gets hurt. And then you kind of look at, you know, Jackie Chan movies, you know, and you watch him like throw himself off of a building into a, mm-hmm. you know, pile of broken glass. Or Tom Tom Cruise, the white Jackie Chan. Yeah, exactly. Who like puts it, he is the white Jackie Chan, who puts himself in danger constantly. So here's my thing. I he's, think- He's trying to die. He's I, trying to die. he 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 really is he's he's like i want to go to the sacred volcano and (laughs) or whatever the fuck but check it out man it's like here's i might be taking this in a slightly different direction and it might actually be slightly more controversial even than than what you said oh shit but oh shit but i have decided to firmly stop giving a shit about uh, absurdly rich people and their complaints about XYZ. In my opinion, if you're making, I'm assuming Uma Thurman made what? A million, two million bucks to be in Kill Bill? Does that sound, can we just go with that? Does that, does that sound? Sure, why not? Probably more, I don't know the math, but yes. Yeah. We'll, more, we'll money say than, more, than, more money than we'll ever see, yes. More money than we'll ever see. If, if part of, you know, being weighted on hand and foot by an entire staff, um, making more money than I will ever see. If part of that involved one day of shooting where you were put in danger uh, to do a stunt, in my opinion, that's the price that you paid. Because I would take $2 million, for $2 million, sure, I'd, I'd drive a car into a wall. We'll see what happens. You know what I mean? Like, well, will I so cover? weird about it. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to say, that's what's so weird about it, is like if somebody would have said that he... Um, that he was, that she felt uncomfortable sexually because he was exerting his directorial uh, authority over her, I, then I would sure. be like, fuck him. But the fact yeah. that he almost got her killed, yeah. uh, all of a sudden I'm just like, eh, eh, I yeah. don't know. Right, I right, know. right, right. And so, then, I mean, we could turn it back around and be like, well, Tarantino is also making that kind of money and his life is never in danger. To that I say it's a fine point. I will leave that up to the gods of the wealthy man. Like I'll, I'll let the, the who, if you want to decide, we, we play this game where rich people are like these little dolls that we play with because they, we think that they're surrogates for us because we all think that we could be that way one day. Mm-hmm. So we like to in, involve ourselves in these soap opera dramas that occasionally do have real life and death results. And we care about them profoundly because these are our avatars for ourselves. But the fact of the day is, like, these people wouldn't piss on you if you were on fire. They really, Most of them probably really wouldn't. Maybe Keanu Reeves. I don't know. Um, so I'm just ref- I just refuse to care. I and that is, all, that is, that's my cold, I mean, hard-line stance about this is, like, I don't I care well what said. the scandal is. I don't care what the scandal is. Like, if they are that rich, I don't care. Um, can you convince me. That was yeah. actually, that was very, very well said. And there was a Thank lot you. of... There was a lot of midsummer imagery in there, pissing on people when they're on fire, avatars yes. playing with dolls, you know, right. this this sort yeah. of worship. This worship. I feel like mm-hmm. we could pro- if we never talked about midsummer, we do it anyway today. Mm-hmm. Like with this, sure. it's it's bleeding out of everything. 
One last mm-hmm. comment about spoilers, because this fucker spoiled the fact that Roman Polanski is, seems to be in the movie. Is he in the I, movie, or is he a character? Because I, I know that okay. Sharon Tate is oh, maybe. in the movie. It would make sense that he's a character. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. That would, because he was, yeah, it was. it's his house or whatever. I mean, I don't know. I don't he's, know. A, he's still alive, right? Yeah, he's alive. I uh, but a... I think he I think he can't leave France, right? Well, like I feel like France I... is holding on to him, and they're like, we will not let him go. What did he do? Commit a <laughs> rape? So what? We are French. <laughs> That is not rape to us. Rape, <laughs> rape is only when the father says no. <laughs> Again, isn't this movie? We're watching like a Swedish horror movie. Again, it, it comes out no matter what we do. Yeah, yeah I was just, exactly. I, I thought that he was saying that this person was saying that Roman Polanski was actually in the movie as a cameo. And I was annoyed at the potential spoiler situation. But like people have been putting this, this is the last point I want to make about that. People have been saying, like, not a spoiler, and then they'll give some kind of information about a film or a TV show. Right. Where it's, um, and they, to, to be fair, they probably think it's common knowledge, right? Mm-hmm. They'll say, you know, like, the not a spoiler, and then they'll say something about a character who, you know, quote, does something they've always done. Mm-hmm. I would just want to say that that is a spoiler. Yeah. That describing any moment at all is a spoiler. By saying mm-hmm. it's not a spoiler, is still a spoiler, you know. At the risk of sounding like what's it's a fucking Rush song. If you choose not to decide, you still have made a choice. That's how, yeah. That's how annoyed I am. I'm quoting Rush right now. You're yeah. by saying anything, by saying this, it's not this. Not this is still means that you're giving me information I don't have. That is a spoiler. Yeah. And I know I'm I know I'm a hypocrite because I've done the same thing where I'm like, okay, this isn't a spoiler, but you know, be prepared for this interesting thing. Or, mm-hmm. you know, this thing, this interesting thing that you think is going to happen isn't going to happen. And what I try to do usually is lower expectations, thinking it'll mm-hmm. make somebody have a better experience. Like, mm-hmm. be prepared for this not to do this one thing. But I should understand that, of course, that's that's a spoiler. But anyway. It is. And I've, I've been spoiled. Uh, this kind of anti-spoil spoil has happened to me on numerous occasions where the other sort of version of this is people saying things to the effect of oh you're it's going to be hilarious it's hilarious when so and so dies you know and and they're joking right because like <laughs> that person doesn't die guess what bitch you still spoiled it for me exactly like exactly. because exactly. now i know this person's not gonna die in the movie you know yeah. what i mean sure sure it's there's nothing you can you just shouldn't say anything and you and you probably shouldn't be around people that would say anything until you've seen it yourself um, yeah. But uh, this podcast is a spoil fest, so everybody should know that sometimes we even talk about the ending immediately. Yeah, like we in do. the first set, like I'll I'll just say this right now. Spoilers. Mm-hmm. My first question for you with Midsummer is: Did all those kids die because they kept fucking up, or was that the plan all along? Because that's all that's in my head. It was a, it was the plan all along. It was a hundred percent the plan all along. Yeah. It's so it's so odd that. Because mm-hmm. didn't it feel, didn't it feel like they kept fucking up? Like they were mm-hmm. the 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 cult was reaching out to them, and they and and trying to make a path for them not to fuck up, and they still fucked up. So sure. it's like I don't know if it's if it's that bleak. If it's they're like saying eventually these teens are going to fuck up, and then we can we can sacrifice them. Sure. Or or is there a potential happy ending that they didn't navigate correctly? You know. There's no like, absolute like happy ending. Like, don't piss on the sacred tree. Do you survive? Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. I no, Well, maybe, and here's why. So the way that the rules worked was that four of the villagers had to be sacrificed. 
four of the foreigners had to be sacrificed. And then there was that last one that could be a foreigner or it could be a villager, right? So that makes a total of five, and there were six of them. So hypothetically, <laughs> two of them could have made it out that didn't make it out. And of course, but, if they make if they make it out, then the jig is up, right? <coughs> they, they say, hey, you guys need to go up to the hills. There's some weird shit going on. Or does anybody who quote makes it out just becomes incorporated? Yeah. Like to make it to make it out, you have to be a true believer or so. I don't know. We should probably they we become should probably they become up. complicit. Get, they become I, complicit. I but yeah, we do need to back up. It's but it's like the ending of Hereditary where there's there's too much math and shit at the end. Like you just mm-hmm. said, all these I, that stuff blew past me because I'm just staring at like the guy in the bear suit. You know, I'm yeah. missing like yeah. like I really wish somebody would save this math because it's going to explain it to me later. Mm-hmm. But like. Mm-hmm. But like when they try to calm people down after the old people did their fucking Vanderbeek off the cliff, yep. it's like you. Uh, why try to calm them down if they're going to sacrifice them later? But but anyway, right. back up. Right. What movie are we talking about? So we are talking about Midsummer, which was released this year of our Lord 2019, directed by Ari Aster, um, who, as you mentioned, did Hereditary and is pretty well known uh, before Hereditary for his short films of which there are many, which I, I meant to watch all of them yesterday, but I didn't get to. Did, Maybe we did can you watch the, we need to talk about the Johnsons or whatever the, yeah, the, stra- the Strange Case of the Johnsons. I did oh watch my that. God. Yeah, oh that's, my a, God. that's a fucked off movie. But you know what? We we talked about that. We did talk about that on oh, the yeah, podcast already. Okay. Yeah, we talked about that when we talked about Hereditary, um, okay, yeah. which is how long this podcast has been going, folks. Yeah. It's, been, it's wow. been going for a while now. Um, so... In this film, there is uh, the main character, Danny. Um, she suffers a horrific tragedy at the very beginning. Her sister, who is said to be bipolar, which seems like understatement of the year, uh, sends her a cryptic uh, Facebook message, I think, that tells her that uh, that she's leaving the planet, right? That everything is black and that she's leaving and she's taking mom and dad with her. So what she does, she hooks up a couple of... Uh, bright yellow industrial tubes to the exhaust ports of their two cars, snakes them up the stairs to her parents' room. She puts them under the uh, the door. She storytellings them. Remember the ending of storytelling? That, yes. Uh, yeah, so she basically puts them under the door and then duct tapes all of the all of the cracks in the door so that the parents die of exhaust fume inhalation and then proceeds to duct tape the other tube to her mouth which um, we can talk about later how, how Aster kind of goes from this sort of languid, um, um, very pretty pace to just completely over-the-top imagery, like imagery that just doesn't exist even in like other horror movies, you know? Um, yeah, he's, he's like, good that's, at that's kind of, His 0 to 100 is kind of his shtick, it's his gimmick, and it works. Um, so anyway, so Danny is understandably upset. We cut to about... Uh, four months later, so she's gradually kind of recovering from this thing. And her boyfriend, uh, whose name is Christian, has decided to follow his anthropology buddies to Sweden to witness slash take part in a midsummer festival. And, and these are these are real things that occur in Germanic countries uh, every summer solstice. And I have no doubt they're they're going to spike in popularity real soon because the yeah. the youngsters think it's like Coachella now because they saw right it, so. right 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 exactly well it, it's kind of it, it's Coachella esque right it's this kind of weird <laughs> pagan uh, runic 
celebration that has a lot to do with fertility. Um, Same as, I mean, that's what Burning Man was the Wicker Man. So there you go. Sure. Yeah, no, 100%. So they all, so they're at a party, Danny and Christian, and uh, he sort of like reveals um, that he is going to be going with his buddies to this thing. And she kind of does the whole like, oh, well, I would have loved it if you had told me. And he's like, yeah, but I'm kind of, you know, he's trying to get out of that relationship. So he didn't want to tell her that he was going. He just kind of wanted to go, which I don't really know how that was going to play out. But that's one of the brilliant things that Aster does in this is he creates that kind of guy who's like too spineless to, to be real with somebody. So he's always kind of like just doing stuff and then kind of trying to worm his way out of it. But we'll get to that, too, I'm sure. It seems so they like go, they, they go no, finish. No, I'll come back to it. OK. Uh, yeah. So they go. They go. And um, when they get there, um, of course, everybody is that oddly, you know, blank faced type of white person who seems uh, really giddy about what's going to take place. So there's a they have a midsummer festival every year, uh, which includes every ritual that you see on the film, except every 90 years, they have this sort of like triangular yellow temple in which they sacrifice nine people, right? So every 90 years, they sacrifice nine people. And it just so happens, bad luck, that's the year that these folks chose to participate in it. So they show up. They are immediately introduced to uh, psilocybin, some psychedelic mushrooms. So they start tripping balls. And from there on, it's pretty much uh, rock and roll. You know, they see two old folks uh, decide to commit ritualistic suicide by jumping off of a cliff, uh, which freaks them out, understandably. A few of them try to leave. Spoiler alert, they don't make it. Um, and as it goes on, it kind of very patiently develops, right, into the final ritual that we see at the end of the film. Yeah, even more horrific than the multiple gruesome murders is some of the off-screen implications of what mm-hmm. must have happened what must have happened to people and the overlying dread of the movie is amazing so you've got this yeah. pressure it's like somebody's happily standing in the back of your neck the whole time yep. even when even when horrible things happen and this guy loves violence against heads and faces just like in hereditary so yep. hor- horrible things happen to the human body he, he likes making toys out of them mm-hmm. um, even worse is like what happens to those people what happened to get him in that state? Like you yeah. see people, um, you see people later in these, these like gangly bags of hay that have been yep. skinned and stuffed. And it's like, what the fuck did they do to him? You yeah, know, dude. And you, yeah. and you don't know, but whatever it was, it was pretty bad. You'll just hear like a, a distant scream and people mm-hmm. kind of react like, they're like, what was that? Uh, nothing. Let's go. Uh, let's go frolic. So the like the one of the first moment I think when you really understand besides the the suicide at the beginning which don't let me forget towards the end of this Rios told me uh, her script doctor of the movie and it's fucking brilliant so don't let I me might, forget that I'm gonna try to slip it in before that in case it's the same thing okay cool no, that's totally because I I thought of a I thought of the script doctor too okay I didn't but she did and I'm gonna steal it so okay. um so basically uh. To, to go back, like, to talk about, like, this kind of, like, off-screen, like, what the fuck happened. So, kind of what we're dealing with here, there's a character named, I think his name is Mark. Is that the douchey friend's name? Mark? I think it's uh, Mark. 
Anyways, we'll, we'll, we'll go. With, we'll go with Mark. So he's uh, he's just an asshole. Like he doesn't have a whole lot of depth to him. He's just sort of like this gangly prick who has no respect for the mores of the country that he's in. He's the guy who pisses on the on the on the tree. And to them, there's this there's this downed dead tree that represents the souls of all of their ancestors. And of course, so he pisses on it. And then after that, there's this kind of like six foot tall Bjorn Bjornsson type fella who's like just staring at him, just glaring. <laughs> He's kind of like, is this guy going to kill me? Turns out he <laughs> does. Um, well, he might. We don't know. Maybe he was just going to be slaughtered anyway. They let him away like right on right when he needed to be killed. He was led yeah. away with the under the guise that he was going to have sex with some girl. Yeah. And I, I, I think like like you were saying earlier, if the case is that he was going to be one of the nine, didn't mm-hmm. matter that he did that. It was just interesting that one of the cult people, like the mask, was yeah, dropped yeah. for a second. Right. The, the, like it's, it's no longer. It suddenly it got personal for a second. It did and get a lot personal. Of, yeah. And the rest of the rest of the murders, you could argue, are not personal. They're part of a right. just ha- a happy celebration. Just as mm-hmm. you know, just this some a ritual that just needs to be done. You know, there's no yep. Yep. don't be upset. You know, it's a it's like he was saying when the guy was trying to talk to the girl who wanted to leave. And she's like, Where, where's my boyfriend? He's like, oh, we put him on the truck already. There wasn't room for two. She's like, not room. I could have sat on his lap. He's like, well, you know, we don't want to get in trouble with the. With we the don't want to break those. traffic laws. Yeah. yeah, and it's yeah. and he's trying to, and he gets kind of exasperated. Like he's, he's just, you know that he wants to do like the guy in Few Good Men and be like, God damn it, this is why. And you should yeah, understand right. that this is, this is why. And it's right. perfectly fine. It's fine that you're going to die for this. Don't you understand that this yeah. is what's supposed to happen to you, right? You know, it's it's a weird, it's a weird. The we we've mentioned benevolent evil before, but it's a perfect example of like this happy. There's a happy machine going, like the mm-hmm. like the fucking Zamboni and Caligula that cuts off heads. It's coming, mm-hmm. and you can't right. do anything about it. And people are <clears throat> laughing and they're cheering. Whoops, they're clapping. And I just knocked the computer over. I got so excited about that Zamboni. And you, <laughs> there's there's nothing you can do about it, um, and yeah. that's what they are. There's just this happy force of of positivity, you could say. Like it's right. this this movie is like a sincere, unabashed celebration okay. of other cultures. Yeah, it's yeah, it's yeah, yeah. not. It's almost like saying, "Look at these ugly Americans. You, look, this is what you get, and look at how, you know, don't." It's not really, and this is this might be totally off the mark, but it doesn't feel like an anti cult movie. It yeah. doesn't. I know it's a cult, right. but it's like uh, it, it's like what uh, uh, Truffaut said about you can't make an anti-war movie because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to show to show war to show anything is to enable it. He said, "Yeah." But is it the same with a cult movie? Because every cult movie I've seen, they're pretty creepy, mm-hmm. but um, they're also people are into them. People, right. I, I don't know if maybe white people needs a few more heroes, but you're into them. Like mm-hmm. we we're to. I watched this movie and I thought, because last episode I was uh, sad that my uh, work seems to have been adapted for the big screen without my knowledge. But watching this, I thought, this is so on brand with Osborne. He might yep. be excited about seeing everything that he maybe not talks about, but it, mm-hmm. you kind of exude like you're into you're into cults. You seem yeah. to be a what you seem to be white at first glance. You. Yes. Uh, you see, you seem to be into the uh, little mushroom drinks, you know, and the ideas yep. of just a little bit goes a long way. The idea of these these uh, these rituals to kind of clear your mind. You might be in some lifelong, uh, um, not. I don't want to get too much 
into the amateur uh, psychologist couch, but you seem to it. be you seem to be on not the grief train like she is, mm-hmm. but are you looking for family like like she? Are you are you an orphan? Is is that why you're drawn to? Are you is is the is the collision course between you and a cult mm-hmm. inevitable? Mr. Osborne, is it inevitable? Well, 100%. 100%. Right? <laughs> You're going to be in a cult yeah, dude. for the next 10 years. Yes, sir. Yeah, no, 100%. Yeah, no, it really is a movie that's like right up my alley uh, in, in pretty much every way from the psychedelic drugs to the runes. I have my little, I'm looking at it right now, I have my little uh, sachet case full of, uh, full of <laughs> runic symbols. Cult. Runic symbols that were are carved out of uh, wood. I'll put a picture up maybe on the on the on the pod just so that people can see all my runes. But I I throw my runes every day and I look at tarot and I I I'm really really kind of kind of into that. And I I will get back to that. I will get back to that for sure. I want to real quick finish the thought about Mark right because I want to I want to make a point about how Aster does the stuff that he does right. So so Mark. Um, gets let off into the woods. You don't see him after that. And then uh, Josh, who's this anthropologist, who's the initial, who's the guy who's actually doing his thesis on midsummer festivals. Um, he goes. He he. They show him this book, right? And it's it's a book that has been written by their kind of village uh, clairvoyants for hundreds and hundreds of years, and their their current clairvoyant is this inbred monstrosity that kind of like sleeps on a bale of hay in the corner of the temple, right? And just kind of does these sort of colorful drawings, uh, not even drawings, just like smears of paint. And uh, Josh wants to get access to this um, this book, right? He wants to take pictures of it so he can bring it home. He's doing the, the classic colonialist move of promising that he won't reveal their secrets or mm-hmm. and he'll respect their culture and then completely taking a shit on that. Yeah, and it's, in, it's and interestingly and done. It's interestingly done because Josh is black and this particular culture is white. And I think yeah. that that is done in a way to kind of, for the predominantly white audience that's going to watch this movie, I think to kind of put it in perspective, right? Like this is what white people have been doing for the past 350 years. Uh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And so anyway, so he goes into the temple and he's photographing these these pages and he is malleted over the head, just kerthunk, and he is dead. Um, And when the person who hits him comes out, it's a person who's wearing Mark's face. Okay, now we've seen that before. We've seen uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. We've seen we've seen people take people's faces off and like place place them over their own faces and that parallel might be a little deeper too because the leather face is kind of that same giant inbred man child Mm -hmm. like the muscle of the family maybe not the prop maybe not the prophet but certainly the the uh, audience's favorite i don't know if this if this dude the the murderous mutant in this movie is going to get the popularity of leather face but i think that was definitely a shout out because he's wearing the fucking dude's face yeah, and then and he hits him, and he hits him in the same way as Texas Chainsaw Massacre. When the girl, or when the guy peers in too far, he gets mm-hmm. the fucking uh, mallet to the head. Um, oh, I, that's a good reference. Yeah. So, but here's where Aster like takes it up a notch, and I don't know if you noticed this because Rios didn't notice, notice, but he's he had, they have also cut off Mark's penis 
and he has Mark's penis attached to his pants. Right. Oh, I so thought he was just naked. Yeah, I, I missed there's, that. There's 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 a bloody flopping castrated dick that has been strapped onto his body. Right. Um. So, okay. so that's where it kind of like takes it up a notch, and that's what Aster does. He's like, okay, we've seen all this before, but what's that next level of like creepiness and brutality that could really push this home? I remember when I was in, um like eighth or ninth grade, I had this buddy and we would, since we were really cool, you know, like captain of the football team type guys or whatever, not really, we were, we were dorks. We would sit around and try to imagine the most fucked up movies that we could, right? And we would write them out and we'd be like, oh, when we get to a certain age, we're, we're going to take this up a notch, right? And I swear to God, one of the movies that we came up with was about a kid who, keep serial raping his father right um which if if for, uh, for whoever is listening one of ari aster's most famous uh, short films is called the strange case of the johnsons that's what it's about it's about a kid who keeps raping his dad um but what we would do is we would keep trying to like we would have these ideas like why don't we just take it to like this level that's super gross and super fucked up that nobody's ever done before. And Aster is exactly my age. He's a few months younger <laughs> than I am, actually. And so I feel like this dude is just somebody who had the initiative to go out and actually do all of these things. And so yeah. it tickles me to, to no end to see that he's, that he's got that spirit. He's like, I'm not, we're not going to make like these sort of hyper-kinetic, trashy grindhouse movies. I'm still going to make a movie that's beautiful and that works as a movie. But the the violence, and not even the violence, but just the imagery itself is going to be so upsetting and so violent that people are going to walk away and be like, I, well, that's I, don't, the, I don't feel like I watched a, like a horror movie necessarily, but I am deeply disturbed. Well, he knows, dude. He understands that it's the last game in town, that contrast between the horrific material and the, and the you know, disarming, sunny exterior. I mean... Anybody who's listened to this podcast, I've been just praying for a, a horror movie that takes place in the daytime or any mm -hmm. movie, really, because I, if, if we had if we had the technology right now, we could do a montage of me being like, why was it so dark? You know, mm -hmm. hey, sure. this movie was so dark. Oh, I hate this fucking movie. I can't fucking see anything. <laughs> I did that for about a year saying yeah. I can't see shit. So right. the fact that this movie is um, looks like it does. He understands that that contrast is is the last game in town when it comes to horror and it's funny to circle back to tarantino a little bit he understood that contrast in his first movie when he put the super sounds of the 70s music ac across horrific torture scenes and violent mm -hmm. moments he and it, it threw everybody for a loop um i guess you could argue that american wealth in london did it first with the in the credits like the mom mom dang 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 right <laughs> after the after the real sad a real sad moment and then he just kind of says fuck you so, mm -hmm. but, but Tarantino wasn't really doing a fuck you. He was just saying, I'm going to, you know, he's going to crank up the contrast, which is yeah. you've, you've heard yeah. the scary mm -hmm. music. You've heard the, the, the rock and roll for the intense <clears throat> moments, but how about that white people music? How about that fucking folk music? Like mm -hmm. the seventies mm -hmm. song, Yacht Rock. Yacht Rock is, is inherently scary when, when done correctly. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like yep. the, I've. The lyrics to Chevy Van. Have you ever listened to that song? I don't. It's all about. No. 
It's it's an old folk song about somebody driving a Chevy van and they pick up a hitchhiker and he's like, you know, like a princess, you were laying there and he's, you know, cool wind blowing back your hair. And you listen to it and you think, oh, it's supposed to be about just picking up a hitchhiker. But if you listen close, it's like, did she make it out of there? Yeah. Did she yeah, did. Yeah. When he's when he lets her off, he's like, did he just dump her body? When he mm. says it's just, it's like a stone's throw away or something, did he kill her with a rock? You know, there's all these things right. that that are make it potentially scary. And I think that there's something about folkiness. There's something about the yep. sun. There's something about the the Coachella shit we were talking about about people frolicking and making little daisy necklaces. There's something potentially scary there, and it, it's scary yeah. in a in a uniquely white way. Is that yeah. safe to say? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I have so, a few, yeah. I have a, I have a theory about all that because I I do find folk music in general to be terrifying, especially like so like, scary, like, dude. like like 60s stuff. And I have a I have a like a kind of almost Freudian idea of why that happens. I think that um, I think that when you what happens when you die, right? Your your whole life flashes before your eyes, and so I think that there's something completely uncanny and terrifying about folding the past into the present. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I think that when I hear folk music, what I hear is not the distant past, but the very recent past. And I currently exist in a time where people who listen to that when they were teenagers are very old now, right? Mm-hmm. So any, anytime I hear that, there's this kind of sensation of the past and like hopes and dreams and youth and vitality being uh-huh. folded into nursing homes and pills and alzheimer's and stuff like that and it's this very and they're claiming it the same way you'd you'd want like the blood of a virgin yeah yeah so i mean mean, there's there's that too you want to take you're going to take back that youth yeah yeah there's there's definitely that but it's also like people love nostalgia but when you feel nostalgic it's also kind of like a sadness right it's like a you can you can never quite return to that, but instead of being sad, I find a lot of because I, I get that impression when I watch something like I don't know or when I hear the music I should say for something like Stranger Things, I feel like oh this is like when I was a kid and that's being folded into this present and that creates a kind of almost beautiful feeling inside of me. Not to speak of the show, we'll talk about season three maybe next episode because I'm not quite done. Um, but with folk music in particular, it does just have this feeling of, uh, that there's, there's always an, a dark undercurrent to it. There's always been a dark always. undercurrent to it. And I, I don't know if it's because I personally grew up on images of, you know, the, the Manson family with their shaved heads and their blank stares and had to transpose that onto like, you know, the Beach Boys, you know? So the Beach Boys have always been incredibly creepy to me. Um, <laughs> always, dude. Yeah, like, always. Like, all, especially the big the big folk rock crossover hits. People mm-hmm. listen to them in a, not just a nostalgic way, but in like a, in a, in a the, there's that sadness there. I mean, just parts of it that, uh, today I, I heard uh, California Dreaming. I know that's about a song, uh, or that's you know they're they're not in California. They want to be in California, but it, it fits into mm-hmm. that folk rock territory. But all those lines, like you know, I got down on my knees, and, you know, and praying mm-hmm. shit. It's like that's creepy. Like what's going on there? There's right. there's a right. there's a uh, there's a desperation 
and mm-hmm. combined with that or like summer breeze that's why i mm-hmm. thought one of the one of the greatest cover versions is typo negative does cover uh, cover of summer breeze mm. and that's what that's what it always sounds like to me anyway right so right. i love it it's almost mm-hmm. unnecessary it's almost redundant it's summer this breeze. uh this new metal band called three teeth recently did a cover of uh the foster the people song pumped up kicks which is uh have you heard that song before no it's like I don't think I've heard all that. the other kids with the pumped up kick. okay okay okay, okay. Yeah. yeah so that's a song about a school shooting right it's literally about a kid like getting a, uh, his dad's gun and shooting up his school so three teeth did like this kind of like dark metal cover of it but it's exactly what you're talking about where that's they just took the spirit of the song and made it blatant, but right. it's my it's my lifting tune, bro. I'm like hell yeah, dude. I'm <laughs> into this shit. I have to mention lifting once per show, by the way. That's that's well, my only demand. Speaking of, of dude, speaking good. of the contrast, the contrast mm. of lifting to bad music. I've told you, I used I used to lift to the weirdest fucking songs. Like Asia's first album was one of the weirdest exercise uh, yeah, that regimes. Is weird. It mm-hmm. drove people out of the it drove people out of the very small weight room at the doors. <laughs> um, Lifting weights to uh, like Mercury Rev Deserter songs is a weird workout. Like there's, sure. there's something yeah. there's something to it though. You know, it's yeah. different yeah. than like how many times can you listen to like the Rocky Four soundtrack? Like you, sometimes you, sure. you throw in the yacht rock and all of a sudden shit gets a little weird. Oh yeah, you know? sometimes I put on like, you're... I'll, I'll put on Crystal Castles and it'll be this like you know <laughs> this woman kind of crooning at me with this sort of like weird trancey beat in the background and I'm like I can I can get into this. This is right. fine. You know, it's, it's not always it's like chicken. Slipknot. Although I do turn on Slipknot sometimes, yeah. and I go, I go beast mode, bro. Whenever Slipknot comes weird. on, yeah. Right. But, but if somebody was like to swap out Slipknot with like Ventura Highway or Christopher Cross, all of a sudden you're like lifting weights with your dick. <laughs> Wait, did I say that? Did I say that out loud? Yeah, you did. Uh, <laughs> but no, yeah. So, so that whole thing that makes. Um, that I, I think there's also so, and I think that this is a way in also to talk about Midsummer. So we're not just you know going round and round in circles about folk rock. Is that understanding what makes that creepy is also what makes Midsummer creepy sure. because there's because there's like a promise of happiness, but they're all it always seems like folk songs are about like you know working through these kind of dark times and darkness to like get to this sort of like utopia. And yeah. besides all that, it's just fucking creepy when when people get into cults and they start putting flowers in their hair and they look they have that blissed out look to the, that's fundamentally unnerving because the, the the default state of being a human being is being an anxiety ridden mess. And if you ever see somebody who's just like I remember when I was first going to school to college, I took an abnormal psychology class and we had to watch a video of a guy getting a lobotomy. And they show them digging into the skull and pulling out parts of his frontal lobe. And I was fine with that. And then they switch and they they start to interview him. It's in this black and white footage. And he's just sort of like staring off into the middle distance and answering kind of like lethargically or whatever. And I walked outside of the classroom and I fainted. It like fucked me up to see that. And what fucked me up about it was not the gore. It was this kind of blank stared, everything's okay now. Like that to me is so anathema to what it means to be a human being. You saw that... you saw a quick glimpse into your into your end. Mm-hmm. When mm-hmm. you when you when you inevitably join a cult, right. there's gonna be a there's gonna be a blissed out you. <laughs> right. 
and you're going to be like looking in the mirror. Hi, Dave. Hi. And you're going to, you're going to know it too. Cause somebody's going to be like, Hey, Hey, how, how you, how you feeling? JDO, you, you good? And I'm going to be like, yeah, I think I'm good. I think, I think everything's I'm, all right. I think I'm going to be okay. So that's that's when you know. That's what's brilliant about this movie is that's what's scary about it is that mm-hmm. when they offer themselves up, I think without that, it's a typical horror movie. But the fact that they happily and they try to explain it too, they're like, we'll, we do this and you, right. you shouldn't have a problem. Why would you not want to do this? And it's that, right. you know, it's, it's that fucking, uh, what's his name? Um, Jim Jones kind of thing where yeah the, the fact that they keep offering themselves up as victims along with who they're killing it mm-hmm. makes the the movie like sidesteps you know quote evil right there mm-hmm. it makes mm-hmm. it it makes them seem so reasonable like who are we to judge they're doing it to themselves yeah and then, yeah and then you're you're almost but not quite to the point of so every so often some little frat asshole gets turned into a bag of hay you know, yeah. but they, but they're burning themselves up in that room too. And that's right. Who are we to check? You can't make an omelet without breaking some eggs, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. I mean? No, no. A hundred percent. It's so weird. It's so, it's it's so unpersonal. It's so unpersonal. Right. It's so like, like I mean, like they added that the, in. It's another, another culture, right? Yeah. It's another the, culture. Yeah. We can't judge it. I mean, the, the Mayans were, were ripping out hearts by the hundreds per day. You know what I mean? And it was just a thing. Now I'm sure the people who are getting their hearts ripped out, we're not happy about it, but that was like their thing, you know. The blood god needs blood, so I mean, you know, get in line, dude. We're gonna we're gonna cut that shit open. Um, well, here's a I have a question for you. So I have a couple of questions. If what happens if when you said the math earlier, I hadn't considered how many people they needed. So they mm-hmm. send out they send out their their um, their globe trotting uh, college age psychos to to hook people right it's kind of like yep. hostile yep. you know they, they get sure so her going fucked things up she wasn't supposed to go mm-hmm. so what happened what happens if she didn't go like when i think about her life th- that's a pretty sad situation she doesn't go and he just disappears on her mm-hmm. and he's maybe. already maybe maybe that's all oh, that's true because she's uh his death is contingent on her winning the May Queen, mm-hmm. which was an accident, right? That wasn't a setup. They didn't know that was going to happen either. They right, right? That, right? Okay, and they yeah, and they and they follow the rules. They're like, well, she's the May Queen, so so. I was asking somebody else the same question. What happens the next day? She's the festival does, continues. Does she make it? Does she make it through it? I want her to. I like the idea of the bait and switch that. Hundred percent. I don't know anyone who wouldn't be thinking she's fucked because mm-hmm. you got all those pick, all those po- creepy Polaroids of previous May queens. Mm-hmm. And you're like, they're dead. We don't see anybody talking about being May queen before. No, they're not dead. They're not dead. I know. We, right. We we, we, we do see them. We do see and, them. But you think you think she's heading for uh, to be lit up like the Wicker Man? Like, sure. You why why wouldn't you think that? But that's what I is, thought when she was covered that's the in big flowers. Twist. I thought she was yeah. going to be burned. I thought that the May Queen gets burned and she was in all these flowers. And I was like, oh, fuck. Um, yeah, that's the that's the biggest twist is she doesn't. That's right. the bait. So the bait and switch is that she is she's found a new family, I guess. Mm-hmm. Or mm-hmm. she's or she goes home. She can't go home because then she would tell the authorities. So the only Maybe. possibilities are is the next day she another ritual. The, is the rituals mount 
your odds go down and down. I don't know. But well, you, uh, I, I think it's a happy ending where she's found her new family. She stayed, the women grief screamed with her in a way yep. that makes me think that finally somebody understands what she's going through. They make a point that the, that the, her asshole boyfriend doesn't get it. He's constantly trying to, you know, worm out of that relationship, but not but he's he's hanging on in like, like a wimpy way, and the, the movie seems to treat his spinelessness worse than if he yep. was unfaithful or if he dumped her. The, yep. the movie has so much contempt for somebody who doesn't have the balls to break up. Yes, and that's and that's 100%. why he's and he's punished the worst of them all. The for, worst, for, way for, worse because, than he deserves, because he, of course, because yeah, he, because he doesn't have the balls to do it. Yeah. Did I ever but tell you about? Go ahead, real quick. Did I ever tell you about a friend of mine who was uh, he was going to join the Marines? Um, or sorry, join the army. And uh, best, this was my best friend at the time, this guy. And uh, he was going to break up with his girlfriend, kind of get a clean slate before he left town. Sure. And um, he had a stroke. Uh, wow. He was uh, at track practice, jumping, practicing for the high jump. He had a, a stroke jumping over the high jump bar mm-hmm. and um, was in rehab where he couldn't talk. He kind of had to relearn to talk. Um, I was one of the only people he told that he was going to break up with this girl. Mm. And uh, then he has a stroke and he can't speak. It's like a fucking fable. So she's yeah. coming to the hospital every day. And, oh, my God. And I'm sitting here trying to get him to tap on the wall. You know, like, can we get him to say yes or no? And I'm passing him notes saying, do you want me to tell Michelle you're going to break up with her? Can you right. tap twice right. for yes, once for right, no? Right, right, right. And people are like, this is not what you should be concerning yourself with. And I just kept thinking, is he in hell right now? Because she's sitting next to the bed and he right. can't talk. And, right. uh, and he and knows that, like, the hooks are going in deeper <laughs> and right. deeper and deeper. Right. She carried around his track jersey in the lunchroom. And I was like, you know, that's Fuck, pretty gross. bro, that's I gross. actually tried. Yeah. I tried to bring attention to it. And I was the big villain for like mm-hmm. trying to they thought I was trying to insert myself. It's kind of the, the story of your life, isn't it? Like, well, <laughs> like I think we're all just whole... trying to exploit a tragedy here. And Dave has to come in and be all like, well, you know, it's actually <laughs> these are people. And, you know, and it it's made not me as clear the cut. Exploiter. It made yeah, me the right. person who was trying right. to exploit the tragedy. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. long story short, he eventually uh, they did eventually break up. But everybody remembers me as the asshole who like tried to tell his girlfriend that he when he couldn't speak that he wanted to dump her before he had a stroke. So right. my point is, uh, I don't know what my point is. I think my point is that it's worse than me. My point is, I feel bad for this fucking guy in the movie because it's right. kind of like, he, you know, he he's. He's doing what I don't know. He's doing what he thinks is the noble thing to do, mm. and to to let to cut her loose when her whole family is is just died would yeah. be pretty would be worse than what he does. But mm-hmm. it's clear that the director does not agree with that. The director thinks the worst thing you can do is what he's doing, right? Um, which is a subtle thing, but it's a subtle thing that. If the movie isn't familiar to people as far as, you know, they haven't run into a crazy Swedish cult before, mm-hmm. the, the way he treats her is very familiar to the world. I think. Totally. I think totally. that people are like, I understand that kind of bullshit. And mm-hmm. I found myself getting mad at him and thinking, man, of all the, the crimes committed on this film, is this really the, but that's the one that relates, you know, that's the one that resonates. You know? Yeah. Yeah, it does. It does resonate. And I think that... Um, I think that his movies very kind of blatantly traffic in, 
again, he's extra. All of his imagery is over the top. And, you know, you don't get somebody who just gassed themselves to death. You get somebody who tied a tube to their mouth and you see the little bits of vomit on their chest from where they right. their body was rejecting the gas. You know what I mean? So right. when he's in these, in the same as hereditary, you know, like so is he the mom doesn't just... The mom doesn't just die in hereditary. She saws her own head off. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. So I well, think that's a, that's that in a quite, this, dude. he's working in this, in this realm. Can you hear me still? Yeah. Yeah. You're just cut. You're kind of cutting out like a CB radio there. That's weird. Yeah. My heard, headphones are kind of shit. Okay, cool. Um, but like, in, he, so in these movies, he's, his symbolism is, is kind of bash you over the head with extreme emotion, right? So everything is quiet, quiet, quiet until it's not, and there's no in between. It's this. He definitely shifting. has established a style with only what two and a half movies under his belt that I've seen. But we uh, we talk about him like we've seen ten of his movies. Mm-hmm. So that's, right. well, that's another question I, I should ask you: is is this just a soft reboot of Hereditary? Like, you know, it, it starts off with a with the family trauma that leads mm-hmm. into a, a cult and then leads into a very specific real life ritual. Yep. Yeah. So and I know. Like, well, he, he made these movies almost at the same time, okay. almost at the same time. That makes like, sense. like, like he came off of shooting Hereditary and apparently they greenlit Midsummer without hereditary even being kind of like the cult hit that it was. I don't know how he did it. That makes sense because yeah. his, it, that makes more sense than the idea that that there was any sort like he sat back and said, what's my next project? I had a big hit. You right. Know? But right. instead, he's just like trying to get something out of his system. And right. Maybe pe- people didn't see. I think that with hereditary, people don't notice the clear excitement and celebration of the cult that he seems mm-hmm. to have. Oh, 100%. They, yeah. I think people miss that. So I think mm-hmm. he was saying... And the demon, okay. too. I was going to mention that earlier, by the way, that like in the same way that this movie is kind of like, you know, the, the cult is kind of, it's not this huge malevolent force. It's almost like right. you're, you're, they're sort of the protagonist, kind of, in yeah, Hereditary, uh, Payman, the, the one of the, who's, who is in the occult, like one of the four kings that you sort of pay tribute to anytime you're opening any kind of rituals, like a real sort of being, uh, at least in those circles, is not necessarily like, uh, he's more like a person, you know? He's just right, a person. What, he, just, he just needs a body. And, and that's why and they're all... And then at the end of the movie, it's like, and he gets his body, and, the, and when it pulls out, and it's that kind of picturesque little dollhouse, um, I feel like what he's kind of saying is like, look, that's the, uh, that's the happy ending. You know, like yeah, that's the that's what I was I think that's what I was getting at is the idea that there's a there's a joyousness to his horror that I think that people didn't quite get with hereditary and it, and it made me feel like he was saying let me try this cult thing one more time okay now look at this look at yeah. these people look at here's even here's twenty more smiles the smiles were already sprinkled in but in hereditary but now he's mm-hmm. like look at this it's good who are we to right. judge right and, right and when I so when I think about like is this a one trick pony? Are we going to get a third cult movie from him? I don't mm. know if I care if I did, because it's kind of like if he was an action movie guy, would I say, Oh fuck, here comes another action movie. Here yeah. comes more people, more people fighting again. Instead it's going to mm. be like, Oh shit, more people in a cult. This guy right. could probably do 10 cult movies. And if he does them good, 
I don't know right. if I'd care. I don't know if I'd have a problem. I don't with think it. I would either. I'm yeah, I'm that, a I'm a I'm a super fan right now, dude. I mean, this is like <laughs> this is like my favorite guy. Like Rios and I had this like discussion about this because she's a like I I told her that I liked it more than us, and she was like, "What the fuck is wrong with you?" Because she she had a lot of problems with it, and I'm like, "No, this guy is doing everything that I want to do. I've talked forever." Well, there's in, probably. Uh, there's some there's some issues I have with it too. I don't want it to be a total love fest. I let me ask you this about mm-hmm. the drug part. I know you said yeah. that this was the the best representation of somebody on mushrooms in a film. You said, mm-hmm. yeah. Have Are you done the, mushrooms, by the way? No. Okay. I haven't. Somebody slipped me uh, opium once. Uh, totally different. Totally different. Yeah. I just wanted to say a drug's name because I didn't want to lose all credibility. Sure. You know what I did after that? I went. I went and fell asleep on some railroad tracks. So what the fuck, dude? You I don't want to do that. That's I bad. That's to, bad news. I, I thought I could hear the train coming from years away. <laughs> but no. Uh, the question about the drugs: Are drugs are the drugs in this movie necessary? Because I feel like there are two two purposes for them, and they're a little sneaky. I think. I think maybe he wanted to sneak something supernatural into this movie. And that's his way of getting that supernatural imagery that he got to go nuts with in Hereditary. Because there's no, there's nothing, you could argue that there is nothing supernatural happening in this movie. That it's all, it's human beings doing this to their own selves and bodies, right? Sure. So so the drugs was kind of a loophole to slip in some of that imagery. In both the universe of the story and in like, and in the theater in some ways, like, I don't know what I'm getting at. Also, it, I think that it, it solved some script issues that you that a lot of the things that the that the teens and the, or the college guys witnessed in this movie they wouldn't be passive. So to make them passive for what he wanted to show, it's like he wanted to do a cult movie where everybody was already on board. So mm-hmm. he had to he had to dr- literally drug his actors or drug his characters on the page so that it made sense that they would sit there. That they would mm-hmm. sit there and endure what he was interested in. It's like he's not interested in people saying, "What the fuck is this?" Mm-hmm. He's he's interested in in this ritual being shown in the you know the most minute detail. So mm-hmm. I think he I think he might have had to do that because like the scene where a lot of shit's going on and the guy's just kind of sitting there tweaking a little bit is yeah. because he he wouldn't have stood for it. Or when right. le- later they literally use it to paralyze someone. It's like not just it's not enough to make them passive so that they don't see the train coming essentially mm-hmm. they need it to make people just stand there they don't want to kill them all so mm-hmm. they want mm-hmm. and they're doing that to the audience too like the audience would even that's what i i think that's what i mean like the theater needs the the drug uh plot or else they'd say no way right. so instead you just sprinkle in a little bit of that a little bit of that and people are like well i guess they're fucked up so this movie's fucked up i got i'm not gonna say run get out of right. there Right, right, right. That makes any sense. It does. I think it does. I think I would approach it from a slightly different angle. For starters, though, I think that I think your assessment of it from a technical point of view is 100% correct. I mean, it does exactly what you say it's supposed to do, where you can't run, you can't do anything because you're fucked up. However, um, I think that there's also something to the ritual aspect of the movie, the fact that once a ritual begins, it's a perpetual motion machine that can't be stopped. It just, it's a thing that just happens. 
um, and that everybody chooses to engage with on some level. So what this movie is kind of saying about ritual, which it is fascinated with, is that because these people have collectively decided to make a choice that this thing needs to happen, it's 90 years, but nobody's twisting their arm to say, you have to perform this ritual. We live in 2019. They live in a modern mm -hmm. society. There's no reason that they have to do it, but they all collectively choose to take that poison and go with it. So in the movie, drugs are always, except for the paralyzing agent at the end of the film, the drugs are always taken voluntarily. And I think yeah. the key, I think the key scene to this is when he's sitting cross-legged watching the May Queen dance, and they put he being Christian, right? Like the the Danny's boyfriend, the shitty boyfriend. They place one of these concoctions in front of him, and the there's a close-up shot of the woman saying like, "Hey, hello," uh, which is mirrored when he's paralyzed. She's like, "Hey, hello. Uh, this is something that will uh, just make everything go a lot smoother." And you know, and so after he and, takes and I that. Felt like and I thought she was talking to the audience right there. It felt like she was talking to the audience. Yeah, and you're right. <laughs> so when he takes that, that's when he engages in the sex ritual. And that's what, and so there's, there's almost, um, in a weird way, uh, not to get too into like, like the politics of things like date rape or whatever, but there is this well, kind was, of thing. That's, that's, that's rape, right? He's, he's not sure. in control. And they're, they're sure, literally sure. Steer, they're steering his ass. He's, yeah. He's, he's being raped, right? Sure, 100%. So, but what that is, is that creates a parallel between this ritual that's going on and the participants within it. You know, they're mm -hmm. all saying that there's a, a, a part, there's a point that you get to. Um, like with this ritual, like once the people dove off the cliff, or maybe it was more like once... Um, that guy was turned into a lung angel. The you know the, the the stones have been cast, and you can't go back. You have to move forward. Right. And so when he sits there and he's he's presented with that choice: do you drink the thing or do you not drink the thing? He still chooses. And so what I'm saying is that like what the movie seems to be saying is that there is a responsibility to making the initial choice, even if after that initial choice is made, you are incapacitated or you are out of your head, or whatever. Mm. It does feel like the movie is kind of saying that, is that like, is that there's a part in every person, like a shadow self, that won't come out because we have, we live in a modern society, and we have all these things built up to keep us from being like who we kind of truly are. Because these concoctions don't create monsters, they lower inhibitions and let monsters mm. that are already there right. come out. Gotcha. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, so, yeah, man. So that's just, to, to me, uh, everything that you're saying from a storytelling perspective and, uh, you know, keeping so that, so that people aren't in the audience be like, run, motherfucker, run. <laughs> like, that's all true. But I also like it because it pulls double duty and it has something to say about yeah. personal responsibility and understanding the limits of your own cognition and your own control and, and, and knowing when you are in too deep and when you need yeah. to, like... Not not drink the fucking lemonade, dude. Like, don't do it. It's bad. Right. It's got shit floating in it. Like, that you know what that sense. shit is? That makes sense. Speaking of the audience, did you have? We had the same issue with Hereditary, where people can't take it. You know, and they gotta they start Bro. tittering, Bro. And giggling, and, and just fucking cackling Bro. through the sex scene or the rape scene. Did you have that same? We shit we, we we did not have that. We had fucking walkouts and mass, right? When 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 you get to the temple scene at the end where everybody is ritually burned, there's a lot of pagan shit going on. 
Like even the temple itself, that triangle formation, mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of like it feels wrong, right? It, it, it feels wrong. It feels wrong. Like when that started happening, and I think like the audience started to like realize, oh, this is not a hostile situation. Because I still was wondering, like, is this a hostile thing where they're gonna fucking kill everybody and escape? Once you start realizing, oh no, that's not what this movie is about. Like the quote unquote bad guys have won, the pagans have won, and they're about to perform this this ritual. I swear to God, dude, like a dozen people left the theater once that once the wheelbarrow showed up and they're pushing those wheelbarrows full of like the guy who oh, what they did to Mark where he looks like a jester. He has that yeah, jester hat the, on. He's um, the, the fool, right? Somebody said he's the that, fool. Yeah. My friend skin the was fool. Like, yeah. The skin the fool thing is went over my head. But I just thought they were just saying, fuck you, like a double fuck. Right. you. Like we're going to we're going to sacrifice you anyway. But here's a stupid hat. Yeah. You're the <laughs> you're the gigantic. Like... You're the stupid turd. That's what you are. But like <laughs> when that started to happen, dude, I've. I have not seen walkouts like that since I went to go watch Bruno, the Sasha Baron Cohen film. I watched it uh, in Oklahoma <laughs> and the scene where there's a dick swinging around and then the dick, the, the dick head like hole opens up and it goes, Bruno, <laughs> about about two dozen people walked out like, I don't do this gay shit. I'm, le- I'm not fucking with this gay shit. I'm like, it's it's you didn't you didn't do your research, man. But um, instead they're like, I don't fuck with this cult shit. No, no, they're and open, like Rio, Rios open, was, oh, don't open this portal. Rios was laughing because like when we were in the car, she was like, "Yeah, Mexicans don't play with that shit." Are you kidding? Like, <laughs> <laughs> they don't want to see that shit. Well, she, um, she she played with it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, but she, then she well, had. Well, we got to get to her script doctor in a, oh, in a sec. Oh yeah. I, here's my my our real quick our experience with the audience was kind of funny. There was a woman next to us, who um fidgeting and put and like opening her food and putting it away she'd ordered yeah. the whole she had the whole meal right she oh, had hell fucking, yeah, dude. Uh, she got the sandwich and the fucking fries and the coleslaw yes. i don't know everything yes. was going on and uh so it was pissing off my sister to my right and uh but what happened was she she was confused and she's like what the fuck because she she looks up in the uh the the suicide with the gas mask happens Mm-hmm. And she starts as she says very earnestly asking her her boyfriend or her husband like what wait what's going on she's really confused and then this is <laughs> this is amazing this is amazing she right. falls asleep falls amazing. dead asleep wakes up when the fucking guys in the bear suit uh-huh. so like like my, my my sister was saying she's like she's like imagine how baffled she was because she uh-huh. she's con- yeah. she's confused by the right. suicide right. which which right. felt like it was storyboarded pretty coherently. It and was, instead, yeah. she she wakes up and someone's in a in a bear costume and l- being lit on fire. Like mm-hmm. bless bless her heart, she didn't say a word. She just opens yeah. her eyes like because uh, she's seeing something that I guess she knew it's that she was going to be like, it. "What the fuck is this?" <laughs> and <laughs> at some point, I started. I was mad at the audience because they were laughing through the to the sex there the sex the sex slash rape scene. Yeah, which uh, is. Is Which is also, by the way, where all the May Queens were. Those were the May Queens, uh, the naked women. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, so, yeah. and so, but I, I had to kind of relent a little bit because there's more obvious humor in this movie than Hereditary. I think there's stuff in Hereditary that's definitely supposed to be funny, mm-hmm. but it, it was always the case where it wasn't the funny thing that the people were laughing about. Mm-hmm. And it's the same kind of thing for this. And I just think people can't. They don't know how to deal with it. They don't know how they to don't. deal with. No, it. They they're don't. being made. They're being made uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. This this director deals in hysteria, and when, yeah. and when you're and when hysteria is your currency, you know, 
people people don't want to accept it. People are like, ah, I don't know. I need some sort of release. Right. So they right. so they start talking really loud, like they're in the living room. They start cackling, like, ah, it's so funny because I feel so weird. Mm-hmm. And and it's kind of added to it. They became part of this like cacophony of psychos in my yeah, mind. Like the, I felt like the they scene, were all in the room with them. You know, the scene the scene where the old folks jump off the cliff. I don't know if you remember, but that most yeah, yeah. of that's in, in complete silence, right? Like the sure. like the sound is turned off for most of it. Um, and there's a it was a girl behind me who was eating one kernel of popcorn at like this metronomic pace, right? Where like so we're watching it and it's horrific. And behind me, I just hear. <laughs> <laughs> that's the that's the Friday the Thirteenth. And I was theme. like, I was sitting there, I was like, I was sitting, I was like, is this bitch eating one piece of popcorn? <laughs> so whenever it got over and they like walked past, I said to Rio, I saw like this this girl walked past, I was like, that's my popcorn queen right there. That's a... <laughs> well, speaking of Rios, dude, let's before we wrap up, uh, mm-hmm. do tell me what her script doctor was. Let me get mine in because no one will believe me if we have the same thing. Okay. Um, uh, but let's. So this is what I was thinking, and okay. it's kind of my one gripe with the movie. Okay. I think. Like, do you remember Melancholia, where it has two sisters? One of them's very emotionally damaged. One of them has it together. The end of the world happens, and the one who's very damaged, uh, Kirsten Dunst, has it together. And she's able to navigate the apocalypse in a way that the the normal person is unable to do. Mm -hmm. And that was my gripe was that Danny, Danny should have kind of conquered them. And I know it's not probably what the guy has in mind in his celebration of this other culture, but mm-hmm. it's an amazing coincidence that she's a total wild card, right? She's not supposed right. to be there. Not only is she not supposed to be there, we have somebody uniquely positioned to conquer that cult. Mm-hmm. She has had everything stripped away from her in a way that's a one in a million shot that she's that, that she's there that day. And I mm-hmm. think to some extent, that's why she probably wins. That's why mm-hmm. she wins the game is because mm-hmm. she's mm-hmm. unique. But I think she should have been unique enough that she exerts this this power that she has as as this individual that's been through this grief mm-hmm. that she could take it over in a way that was that was clear and it throws them for a loop. So the ninety years um, after uh, ninety years and all of a sudden shit just got a little different. Not just mm-hmm. the fact that they're going through this very special ritual. But they brought in somebody who was uniquely positioned to fuck them up a little bit. And I don't think she did. I think that they, more more than that, they exerted their power over her. And that's my only way I would script doctor it is I would make her exert her power over them. Because that's what makes, that gives us an arc. Otherwise, yeah. both, both movies are about people wander into the grinder, right? Mm-hmm. It's like just, and they, and the grinder wins. That's mm-hmm. what his message seems to be. So yes. I think that just to tweak it a little bit, have her win. And I think she yeah. won a little bit because she found a new family or whatever. Mm-hmm. But have her change things. Like, just, I don't know, I even know how I'd write it. But I would definitely make it clear that they brought something into their midst that they were not anticipating. Sure. Um, that's how I'd script Doctor. So what did Rios have to say? Well, she had a few things. I'll, I'll get to the, the actual script Doctor in a minute, um, which is different, thankfully. Um, but, um, she was really upset. Whoa. What the fuck was that? That was a, was, a, it was a sigh of, a sigh of relief. 
because I didn't. Oh no, get it scooped. Came, it came, I've been scooped all came, year, dude. Dude, somebody scooped it, no, my it came, movie. It came through on my end as like this horrific metallic screech. That's I was like, what the my fuck soul. is that? My soul <laughs> relieved that I didn't get scooped for the first time this week. Anyway, go yeah. Yeah, yeah. But um, okay, so her whole thing was that she did wish that Danny had had a moment of like catharsis outside of the screaming, like where she kind of like, like the Tony Collette scene in Hereditary, the I am your mother kind of speech. Yeah. You remember that? Okay. Yeah, like yeah. she kind of wanted that. So, but that's not, that's not her brilliant script doctor. So okay. her whole thing was like, take the beginning suicide, like have it happen, but have it happen off camera. Like, never see what happens, right? And think about what that would do at that scene where the two old folks commit ritual suicide and then she oh, kind of sees the, the, the sister it, with the, the tube. Fir- that's the first time you see it. That's the oh, first like time it. you see it. And you're like, I what like the it. fuck is that? You know, and, and, so you, and so she sees her mother kind of like in a crowd when she's tripping balls. and But like, you never really see what happens. Like, you would see the message, everything's black. I'm taking mom and dad with me. And then, you know, you'd have all those scenes, but you don't see that kind of horrific image right there. Which the way that she put it that I really agree with is like, that would make the ritualistic suicide scene that much more impactful because that would be the first time in the movie that you've seen real gore, like real ugly gore. And then on top of that, you see her sister with the tube in her mouth. And like you wouldn't, it wouldn't register immediately that like that was a tube from a car into her. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it would just be this kind of like in the shining when the bear is like sucking off that dude, you know, like it would be like, what the fuck is happening? Like, what is that? You know? Right. And then no, it's like never, it. and then it's never mentioned again. I was like, oh, that would have been amazing. That would have like been it. so great. I yeah. Like now the, I think the opening, the reveal of the suicides is pretty brilliant. So I wouldn't want to lose it. Mm-hmm. But I also agree with her to show the, the for the first time would be great because you also get the parallel of the two, the 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 matriarch and patriarch of the society are killing themselves and that's what happened to her as well. Like they they're losing their parents just as she lost her parents. The parallel works perfect. Oh man, I didn't even Speaking, think about it that way. That's awesome. And plus, and also I hadn't considered this when you said the bear suit again. When you said the word the shining. Mm-hmm. The there's like the shining carpet pattern is one of the uh, blankets. I noticed that, but I had oh, thought of the, okay. I, I thought I had, the the bear thing is an is also a shining reference. I've been hearing all these Wicker Man comparisons and Texas Chainsaw Massacre comparisons, but Rosemary's mm-hmm. Baby and The Shining I think are more spiritual parents of this, mm-hmm. of this mm-hmm. movie. Mm-hmm. But, and you know, you and hear- I, I know that I know that movies have to come from places too, but it always kind of like. Whenever I hear those sort of comparisons, it kind of bums me out because I'm like, I'm not so much, I'm not like a, I'm not so much like a film historian or really like a historian in general. And so when people are like, oh, it's like, it's like the Wicker Man. It's like, it's nothing like the Wicker Man, except that there's a cult and he gets sacrificed at the, you know what I mean? It's like saying, uh, you know, John Wick is is a is exactly yeah. like the raid or something like that. You know, it's like, it's not, but it's, it's one of those, it's got the daylight thing. I'll give them that. Did you hear in the background? Could you hear my text message go off? Uh, I just, I think, I, it think. Might, I think you might be able to hear it when you're listening to the, to the podcast. I just want to read my friend, Nate just sent me a text that I think mm-hmm. I'm going to read on the air because it's, it's cracking me up. And it also, I don't know. It feels 
thematic to what we're okay. talking about. All right, let's go. This is his text to me just now. He says, I just confessed to my family that I've been collecting my cat's shed whiskers for years. I have 322 and counting. They reacted like I just pulled my dick out. <laughs> Sometimes I don't hear I don't hear from Nate for like two years, and then he'll send me a text like that from the from the hills of Sweden. I get these texts. Right, right, right. Oh man, anyway, people are anyway. fucking weird, aren't they? They're just anyway. fucking strange. But yeah, yeah. let's. Uh, yeah, man, I think I, we might have to put this one to bed because I have to go. Uh, um, get this uh, baby situation situated. Ah. Cool. Rock and roll, man. Yeah, no, a good episode, my friend. Yeah, man. I gave a girl a ride in the wagon. She crawled in and took control. She was tired as her mind was a dragon. I said, get some sleep and dream of rock and roll. Cause like a princess, she was laying there. Moonlight dancing off her hair. She woke up and took me by the hand. She's gonna love me in my Chevy van. And that's alright with me. Her young face was like that of a She was laying there 